0: A couple of other tidbits, just kind of housekeeping about our meeting today. We will mute everyone as they come in and um, we'll unmute everyone when it's time for questions um, at the request of the presenter. And people will also be able to unmute themselves. So if you'd like to just raise your hand and wait to be called on before asking your question, I'll kind of moderate that. You can press star 9 if you're calling it on a telephone to raise your hand or hit Alt-Y or Command-Shift-Y on a computer. <laughs> or you can go to the More section of your Zoom app with your cursor. Your mouse. After your question has been answered, please lower your hand. And I'll be monitoring the chat box as well for any questions that come through.
1: Go ahead. Do we have a closed um, captioner for this session?
0: We do not have closed captioning, I don't think, for this session.
1: Okay, thank
0: you. Thank you. Mary Jo, do you want to go ahead and um, introduce yourself and start us up?
2: All right. I think you saw. I was trying to see if I could switch to my, um, my laptop so I could use my phone for notes, but I couldn't get the media ID, so we'll just go with it. Okay. So give me just one second. OK, all right. Um, thank you, you can hang out with the boys. Okay, sorry, <laughs> I'm getting my kids situated so they're not disrupting me. Um, all right, well, welcome everyone. My name is Mary Jo Hartle. I, um, I've been asked to teach this session today and I'm, I'm really excited. This is a topic that I, um, I'd love to, to talk about. Um, so I thought I would just take a couple minutes. Let me, let me make sure, can you see and hear me okay? We can, you're we sideways. Can. Am I okay, let me turn my phone. I have it on a charger, so will not die with the video. So I'm trying to. That's great. Okay, let me get this. I can not have to hold it. Is that better? <clears throat> That's excellent. Okay, no, nope, make you all do gymnastics. So, <laughs> all right. So, um. So I thought I would just start by sharing a little bit of background about myself, really quick, just to introduce myself. Um, I am a certified teacher of blind students. I'm also a certified orientation and mobility instructor. I have my NOMC, my National Orientation and Mobility Certification. I worked. Um, I worked as the. Um, I worked for the National Federation of the Blind Jordanian Institute, and I left there after becoming the director of education. Um, several years ago, I left to start my family and I've taken a bit of a leave of absence from my professional career to be a full-time stay-at-home mom of three children. But I still like to um, stay connected in the field and I'll do things every now and then, like some contract work and, or consultation, working with, um, with families or with, with uh, teachers and children that are, are blind. Um, I am blind myself. I have a condition um, called pseudotumor cerebri. So basically, I, um, I lost my vision when I was 12 years old because of a, um, a reaction, an allergic reaction to some medication, and it, um, it damaged my optic nerve. So my vision is kind of similar to someone who might have like macular degeneration or optic nerve hypoplasia, where the central vision is mostly what's gone, and then the peripheral is, is still there, but my peripheral is still also very, um, very distorted. So I'm legally blind. Um, so, uh, so just to give you a little bit of an idea, my, um, my husband is also blind. He has retinitis pigmentosis, and he was, was born with that. So we um, have the fun of being two blind parents to three-sided kids. So um, that's been an interesting dynamic to figure out, too. And we have three kids. They're nine, uh, six, and almost four, three, three and a half. So they're lots of fun. So I'm hoping what I have to share today will of value to to you based on my experience as a parent and also as an educator with with blind children and then from my experience as a blind person as well so so with that I'd like to go ahead and get started um just to help me so we're talking about movement today but it would be helpful for me to know from the audience what age range of children we have I, I was thinking I could talk about all the you know from like birth to teenagers, but if we don't have any people with like babies and toddlers, then I'd rather spend more time on the the groups that we do have. Um, so can I? Who? I'm sorry. Who's the moderator for this session? What was your name again?
1: Hi, Iphoma.
2: I'm sorry.
1: I'll ask Iphoma. Um, Iphoma. Want to answer? Just raise your hand and um, you know, in the order that you raised your hand, I'll ask you to speak. Okay.
2: Okay, so let me ask a couple of quick questions. And do we have parents in here who have um, children who are blind between the age of like birth to say, three-year-old, three, three years old? Just raise your hands. Are we getting hands for that one?
1: I have one hand raised.:
2: One hand raised. OK. Two. How about
1: Yeah. Can I just um, let people know if um, they need to raise their hands? There's a shortcut um, key. If you want to raise your hands, and so that's um, you can press the um, Alt and Y key to raise your hand. Okay. okay. So now okay, I have, have two raised hands, and so I'm going to um, ask um, Perry Diaz to unmute herself. You can talk, Perry. Um. Yes, I have a
0: three-year-old. Three-year-old.
2: Okay. Okay. And
1: then um, Greg Aiken.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, I I
1: have an eleven year old, but I also um, I manage a preschool program uh,
0: for our center that we work for birth through five.
2: Okay, birth through five. Okay, and is your eleven year old blind? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, so, so again, um, just just. So-
1: I oh, wanted to let you know on the chat we have um, somebody called I F E. Has an age seven. Sarah has an age six. Kathy says I don't have a right hand option. I'll get to you, Tammy. And then Amber says 2.5. And then Tammy says 16-year-old. So then the 16-year-old, 2.2 a half, 6 and 7.
2: Okay, that's really helpful then. So I will I will go through then each of the age groups. I just didn't want to bore you if we had no one with like a, any toddlers or babies, but great, that's really helpful. Thank you. So, and thank you all for your patience in, um, in doing this virtually. This is a really new experience for me too. I, I do teach a class for Towson University, which is i I'm from, I live in Maryland and I teach at a university here, but we, um, we took everything online in the spring, but I was able to just record a lot of my lectures. So I'm still getting used to the interacting on a, on a web platform as I'm sure we all are. So, okay, well, thank you. That's really helpful. And again, as we go along, I want you to feel comfortable to ask a questions. So sometimes I get talking and I get really excited about what I'm talking and I forget to stop and ask questions, but please, please feel free to, to, uh, to stop and ask. Or if I say something that is an unfamiliar term to you or something you want me to, to um, speak a little bit more on, please let me know that. So, okay. So we're talking about movement today. And if you haven't already heard this in the other... Parent sessions, or um, yet, or, or in, um, in the past, um, you will hear this. But we talk a lot about how important it is to have your child using a cane. And we talk about how important it is that we, they start using the cane as soon as they can, like as early as you can start indu- introducing that cane, getting it in their hands, and getting them accustomed to that being a part of their, um, their world. So I don't want to spend a ton of time talking about the cane today because I think that will come in other sessions. But I will allude to a few things with that and again about how important the cane is. Um, I want to focus today more on the importance of having your kids be active and how do we encourage our blind children to be active and move and, and why that is um, why that is important. Um, so I'm, give me one sec. Hey guys, hard old children. Turn it down please. Thank you. All right. Apologize. Um, my kids are downstairs. <laughs> it's a little loud. Um, okay. So, so I want to talk about why this movement is so important. So just in basic child development, we have certain milestones that we reach as we develop and children need to, to meet these different milestones as they're learning and growing because each thing builds on each other like a building, a building block. So for example, you know, you have a, um, an infant, they, they start out like lying on their backs and moving their arms and legs, and they have these uncontrolled um, actions, but as they grow and develop, they start learning how to control those movements, and they learn that when they reach out, if they hit something, they make contact with it, and they start building this, um, this, this knowledge in their brain that different reactions cause different, different actions cause different reactions, whether it's a sound or a movement or a visual, excuse me, a visual stimulation, and so, um, you know, so then that, that progress uh, encourages them to progress to another uh, physical movement, and you know, then they start rolling over, and they're on their um, flipping from their backs to their bellies, and they learn that when they arch their back, it pushes them over onto their belly, and vice, you know, they're on their belly, and they flip over, it moves them to their back. All that stuff is really fundamental for development because it, it strengthens those muscles and gets them ready to start crawling, and then they eventually start pulling up on things, and um, and in walking and so forth. So if you don't have one piece, then the other pieces, you know, it's like a domino effect. One leads to the next one and we need to connect all those pieces together. So I won't spend a lot of time talking about the physical development of like how you make, you know, work with like a blind baby to get them to do all these different milestones. But I just want to talk about some things that you can do at home as a parent to, um, to foster some of these. Um, these behaviors in your children and help them in that physical development. Um, I want to go through and talk about each each different age group, but before I do that, I want to just talk broadly for a moment about what it means to be age appropriate. And this is probably a term that you've heard before, but I want to reiterate it again. So we talk about our children being age appropriate. And what that means for you is that you have to look at your child at what, not only what their physical ages, but what is their cognitive age? So um, I have, you know, I have a, a nine-year-old. She behaves as a nine-year-old. I want to make sure she's doing things that most nine-year-olds are doing. I want to make sure she's meeting milestones that are expected of someone at her age. Like she should be able to read at a certain level. She should have certain um, levels of physical ability. She should be learning how to ride a bike. Like all that stuff is age appropriate for her. We, we tend to see a lot in the blindness field, that a lot of blind children are um we hear things like they're developmentally delayed their vision is going to delay them because they're not able to progress in the same way because they can't see and this is a really um it's really important that we not necessarily get hung up on that as, as parents of blind children. Because while there may sometimes be deficits, it doesn't have to be because of their blindness. There are things you can do to overcome that. And it might just take a little extra work or extra practice on the part of you and your, your child. But they can be overcome. And we shouldn't get hung up on letting these, um, you know, letting professionals put these limits on what our children can do. I, I say that because I've seen so many families with children who come and who have like, you know, they adopt their children and they have multiple disabilities or their child is born with a vision, um, a vision loss of some kind and, and they say, well, you know, don't expect that they're ever gonna be able to do this or that or whatnot. And I've seen parents who settle and their kids just kind of get to this point and plateau out. And I've seen parents who just continue to push and say, we're gonna do whatever, we're gonna try it. And if they can't do it, that's fine, but we're gonna aim high and we're gonna see how high we can make it on that mark. maybe we'll not hit all the way up here but we're gonna hit here rather than here which is what everyone else expects. So I think it's really important that you look at what is um, appropriate for your child based on their uh, physical age and their developmental age as well. So um, if for example if you have a a five-year-old but maybe your five-year-old is still has had some delays for whatever reason if they're physical and cognitive or whatnot um, and maybe they 're functioning more around like a three year old then take them where they are at a three year old level and expect what you would expect from any other three year old without any challenges and um, and then aim for that and then hopefully they'll they 'll reach that level and then you start aiming okay now we 're going to work up to what a five year old would be doing and so forth and just kind of building on that so that you're you 're pushing your child and you're you 're encouraging them, but you 're having high expectations but also um, balancing that, what's realistic for your child at that particular moment. Um, so finding that balance between what is realistic and, and having and still holding those high expectations for your children. So I hope that that makes, makes sense. But I think it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's like a formula that you have to use. So you look at what they should be doing and where they are and how you can move to what they should be doing. So um, So with that, maybe you are new to being a parent, maybe this is your first child. Uh, so you, or you're, you're, it's the first time that they're experiencing, you know, it's the first time you've ever raised a nine-year-old, even though you might have three kids. Um, so if you don't know what is age-appropriate, um, I here's just some ideas of how to figure that out. You can go Google milestones or age-appropriate behavior for a child age seven or a toddler or preschool. Um, look around your neighborhood, look at what other children in your in your neighborhood are doing that are in that, those same age, range, if, if, age ranges, if there happen to be any, watch what they're doing, watch how they're playing, go to the park and just observe kids in a non-stalkery sort of way. But, you know, go and, and, and watch and see what kids are doing. Um, what, look at family members. If you have nieces and nephews or godchildren or something like that, you know, that you can, you can watch and just ask their parents, say, like, okay, so what are they doing right now? What's kind of their, what are they doing in this phase of life? What are their skill sets? Um, and, you know, just kind of using those things to be your criterion to measure what your child should be doing. If you have a preschooler, go to the library. This is a little hard right now with the COVID situation, but go to the library and listen, go sit in on a story time session for preschoolers and look around the room and see how the other preschoolers are behaving. If they're getting up and dancing around during the story and your child is not, maybe that's something that you need to work on. Like, okay, this would be, you know, this is what they should be standing up doing these actions or... Um, they should be moving their fingers in a certain type of finger play. If they're doing the roly poly motion for the game, and, and you know maybe that's something you need to make sure your child knows what that is and teach that to them. So those are just some really simple ways to start observing what would be age-appropriate for your child um, based on what age level you determine that you feel that they are are at, and then again just ha- setting some expectations for for your child that you can work towards. Um, any questions so far? Okay. No. All right. So, um, okay. So let's move on a little. Well, so I like to give really practical, um, suggestions. I think that, you know, a lot of times when I go to conferences or workshops and things, I want to I wanna have stuff I can take away from that. So as a presenter, I also try to do the same thing. I wanna give you resources that you can then take home and and put into application. Um, So so I thought I would would break down some different things that we could do within each age range to foster movement. Um, Again, to help with like gross motor skills, you talk about in physiology, gross motor skills are those skills like being able to throw your arm or kick your leg, um, walking, running, jumping, those, those big muscle movement things. And those are really important for physical strength and stability and strengthening your core. And then as children develop those gross motor skills, it helps them then to foster the fine motor skills. So if they can like swing their arms and move their hands and so forth, then they start developing the fine motor skills, which is like your uh, touch and handwriting and reading braille and using a fork and a spoon, things like that. So it all builds onto each other. We know that movement is really valuable because, like, like I just said, the, the motor development, but then also the um, the health benefits of it. We want our children to be healthy and active. We 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 know there are um, higher rates of obesity among children in general in our country, and the number of blind kids is even greater with that. And we need to really make sure that our children are are being active and healthy just for their own well-being. Um, we all know. We're supposed to eat our vegetables, and we're supposed to exercise. That that makes pretty good sense, right? So, how we do it is the whole other whole other um, ball game. But there are things that we can do with our, our blind children to um, to foster movement and, and activity. Um, so often, people are so quick to write off what you can't do, and the list of what your child can't do feels so long. And you think of the list of what they can do, and and it just it feels. Um, kind of daunting and depressing, um, but I wanna give some ideas of things that you can do with your kids and some adaptations that you can make to help with some of those ways that they, to make things accessible and make things fun for them. So, so let's start out with, um, let's, let's talk about the baby to toddler age range. So at this time of life, kids are they are learning to explore their environment, they're learning how to crawl, they should be pulling up on things, they should be starting to walk. Um, that would be what would be the the what would be age appropriate for that that uh, developmental phase. So things like getting in the cupboards, playing in the cupboards, um, pulling up on chairs, pulling up on furniture, things like that. So as a parent of a blind child, what some things that are really great for you to do with your kids is just start getting them used to moving and getting around their environment and exploring their environment. If you're just leaving them in the playpen all the time or the crib all the time because you think it's safer and you're afraid they're going to roll off something or they're going to hit their head on something, then, I mean, I understand as a parent you want to protect your child, but you also, we also have to give them the opportunity to explore and learn. And they're not going to learn how to do it in a safe manner as a blind child if we don't give them the opportunity. So some really great tips for, for those young, young children are things like, if you have um, a non-walking child, like a, an infant or a, a, a baby, um, wearing like a baby carrier and going for walks with your baby carrier, with your baby in the carrier, because that mo- they're going to feel you moving, they're experiencing the environment, they're going to feel wind, they're going to hear traffic noises, they're going to hear noises in the store, they're, um, they're going to feel different temperatures, different lights, and maybe, you know, maybe there, if there's some light perception, they're gonna notice it's lighter or brighter or, or darker, different things. Um, they're going to feel your body moving and feel the sensation of like turning from side to side or maybe leaning forward or leaning backward. Um, just w- baby wearing is so, so valuable for those little ones at that, that early age, um, just to start creating that sensation for them of, of movement. Um, so the other great things are things like, um, putting them on a, a, a play space. Like maybe you have like a little play yard, a uh, pack and play, or even just like, um, like a yoga mat or something that's going to have a different texture and placing different items around the space that they're in. So they're going to reach their arm out and they're going to hit something. They're say they're like, they're not mobile yet. They're just lying on their backs or their bellies. Um, As they're kicking and moving their arms, they're going to make contact with things and using things that are like, you know, that have like lots of lots of um, Different textures and maybe things that make sounds are really valuable for that because that's going to give them that feedback. That a sighted child would get visually by looking at the toy, your child's going to get feedback from the sound or the texture. So placing those kinds of things in there. in their range of motion, so to speak. Uh, mobiles that can hang, that have different sounds and different textures are great too. Not just like flashy, bright, colorful things like we typically do for babies. Um, you want things that are more um, more by feel and sound. So maybe you make a mobile that has like a wooden block tight on it and a spoon tight on it. Um, they're gonna have different textures. They're gonna have different sounds that they make. Maybe you have a bell on it. Maybe you have some little streamer things or um, some little chimes that make noises. You can create, you know, be creative and create your own little mobile for your child that's going to give them feedback as they reach up for it. And you may have to actually physically help them the first couple of times to get them to extend their arms or their legs to make those activities because they're not getting the visual stimulation that's making them want to reach out to see what that thing is. So they don't even know it's there at first. So you may have to just you know, start introducing that to them, pulling their leg forward so they touch something. Um, those are some great ways to start fostering that, that development for these babies that are you know, not mobile yet. So while they're having like their belly time or they're lying on the floor, like on a blanket or something, creating that space that's more of a texture and a sound, um, uh, type area that's going to, to excite them. Um, as they start to get a little older where they're more into the, the, the pre-mobile stages of like walk or crawling and starting to cruise and pull up on furniture and so forth, again, maybe putting them in that position a little bit more, helping them lift them up onto their knees, um, putting them over next to a counter or a chair that they can hold their hands, you know, putting putting their hands up on the chair so they're standing against it so they learn, oh, I can, this is a new position for my body, this is really different. walking around the room with them and saying okay we're going to go into the kitchen now we're in the kitchen do you feel that the ceiling fan is on feel that breeze that's the ceiling fan and it's up in the air lift their hand up to point it to the air it's up above your hand feel as you get closer you can feel that that air blowing um okay now we're going to go over to the table oh let's feel the table touch the table let's put our hands down the leg of the table oh there's a big feel that that's big and um hard and it makes this the sound when you tap on it. Um, okay, now let's take some steps over here. And I mean, you might be doing all this as you're carrying the child, if they're not to the point yet that they can um, physically, they're not taking steps and so forth. But take them over to the counter, or the cupboard, open the cupboard door, ooh, look. Set them down on their, you know, in a crawl position in front of the counter. Oh, look, the door opens and closes. Move their hand back and forth to mimic that that gesture for them. Um, tap on some pans. show them, um, Through sound that there's something there that might be enticing because I mean all kids any age they want to pound on the floor they want to pull out you know they they love feeling the texture of different floors in the bathroom they'll come in they'll crawl into the bathroom they'll start tapping on the floor that's just in general kids do that kind of stuff they love hearing different sounds and feeling different textures they love playing in cupboards and exploring and pulling stuff out we want to make sure that our our blind babies are doing those same things Um, another really great thing for toddlers when they they do start walking, is for you as a parent to get what's called a teaching cane. And that's basically just for you to have your own long white cane that you can use with them. Um, and it's it sounds, I mean, you don't have to be an O&M expert to do this. It's just you holding the cane. Um, you can hold it like you're holding a pencil. So I'll demonstrate right here with my cane. So you can you see this? So holding my cane, I'm just going to hold it like a pencil. I'm going to hold my, my hand maybe like up at my chest or down towards my belly button depending on how far I want my cane extended out in front of me and then hold your child have them stand up between your legs this is again as they're like they're at the point where they're able to stand and take steps um and then you can position them between so they're walking between your legs and they're holding onto the bottom of your cane with their hand just even in like a fist even if it's just a fist hold like this then you manipulate the cane, tapping it back and forth or drawing a rainbow on the floor, like a little arch back and forth, like shoulder width apart. Um, you can manipulate that and take little steps with them to start introducing the cane to them and walking with them. And your cane becomes the teaching cane for them to start taking their first steps and exploring their environment. So from that, you move on to things like, hey, let's walk around the house. Let's tap our cane on the floor. Ooh, it sounds different in the kitchen because we have tile or, or linoleum or something and then let's go in our living room oh we have a hardwood floors oh it has a different sound doesn't it um let's rub it over here oh look we have a rug that has feel how that has a different texture let's go back to the hardwood again here we have hardwood felt and sounded and then the rug oh yeah that's so different that's the rug and then maybe we reach down with our hand and we feel the rug and we feel the floor and that way we are associating the feel and the sound with what it how it feels and sounds with our cane Um, this sounds like it takes so much time and and it does take time, but this is just natural interactions that you can have with your child, just like you would, as you were playing with them or so forth, you can make a game out of it. Um, another really great idea for, um, for for babies and toddlers is just having them sit on the ground as they start getting the ability to sit up. There are tons of adaptive toys that have like, like balls with, bells in them, um, voice maker toys, things like that. Just having them sit on the ground and roll a ball back and forth with a bell and get them used to finding it. So when it comes over to them, they have to listen to where the sound was and then encouraging them to reach out with their arms to find where that um, where that sound was coming from and to find that ball. Um, that's that's another really great way to start fostering play and make and that play is also um, fostering learning. So just simple things like that. It, it's not rocket science. And a lot of this is just stuff that you can do with your child to play and have fun in an educational way as well. Um, so any questions so far from those of you that have children kind of in this range before we go on to some older children?
1: Uh, this would be a good time for questions. Let's give Mary Jo like a minute to catch her breath. She's been talking about <laughs> for 15 minutes. Um, you can either raise your hand or type a question in the chat.
2: Okay. All right. So let's, let's talk now about preschoolers. And I have to say this is probably my favorite age of, of kids. Um, they're just fun. They're really curious. They're exploring. They want to get into everything. They're asking lots of questions. Um, They're trying, everything is like a first with them. Um, By this point, they've usually mastered walking and um, running, things like that. They should start practicing kicking a ball, throwing a ball, things like that, just as far as physical gross motor things go. So if we have children in that age range, some things that we can do as parents with blind children are a lot of the same kinds of things, just, just building on what we've talked about and again, building on what you would be doing with them at that age anyway. So teaching them how to throw a ball, teaching them what it means to like throw something overhanded versus like underhand. And something that's a little tricky for just that age in general, but you might be thinking to yourself, why does my blind three or four year old, or, you know, even, even older child, why do they need to know how to throw a football? They're not going to be playing football. They're not going to be playing contact sports. And I know that might sound a little bit silly, but it's the motion of the activity. It's, it's. It's teaching that, growth, that gross motor skill, but it's also really building some important scaffolding for just cultural things. Like, um, for example, you say, hey, toss me, that, um, toss me that towel over there. You're doing laundry. And you say, hey, toss me that towel over there by you. You know, they, you want them to throw it to you. Or uh, we use gestures in our expressions a lot of time. We'll say things like, like just last night I was doing a, um, a Zoom call with a family uh, with a, I was teaching a, a cane lesson to their child and I said you want to hold your hand like you're going to catch a ball like cupped like this and in front of you at your belly button. Now, you know, what if you had no concept of what it meant to, to catch a ball, just things like that. It's, we want to teach our children those, those different skills and those skill sets because they do cross over into other areas of life, even if they're never going to play soccer or they're never going to play football, those skills can be really valuable. Um, and it can be really valuable for them to understand what what those different things are and what it means. So around the preschool age is a great time to start doing things like just kicking a ball in, in your backyard, getting a ball with bells and kicking it back and forth. Um, they'll start learning how to locate the sound and maybe they miss the ball. So then they have to go problem solve where they're gonna find it and they're walking through the grass a little bit. Um, You know, they have their cane, they can be using their cane to feel and sweep their cane to navigate that terrain. Um, You know, practice, get a little baseball tee and just have them practice hitting a, a beeping baseball off of a tee, just learning that motion of like swinging a baseball bat doesn't matter if they can't catch it when you throw the ball back to them. It's, it's that whole practice, which they could do. Eventually you could work up to that too. If it's a, a ball that's beeping and then you work up to tossing the ball back and they catch it and scoop it up in their, in their hands. But even just that practice of swinging a glove, a a bat, I mean, can be, um, can be really fun. And it's, it's getting those big gross motor skills of swinging and, um, focusing and, and fine tuning those, those skills. Uh, there's a lot, like as I said, there's a lot of adaptive equipment, like beeping baseballs, beeping basketballs, or not bas- I'm sorry, basketball backboards, the standards. Um, so you can, it makes noise, so you can hear where to throw the ball. Um, lots of different balls with bells in them that can be really fun. So so again, like some great ways, and, and it's just, again, it's family time, it's time out playing with your kids, and you're not, your kids think it's fun, But you know that they're learning while you know, you're teaching them something while they're doing this. Um, Another great thing with preschoolers is they love playgrounds. They love playground equipment. And I know that can be really, um, that can be really intimidating for parents to let your kids climb on a playground, especially, you know, especially like your little tiny ones. But especially like as a blind child, you think, oh, they're gonna get, they're gonna fall off. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna get hurt. There are a lot of great things that, that your child can do and learn from climbing on a playground. And that's one of those things where you really would stress them having their cane with them. Um, but think of the, muscles, the, the, the muscle building that goes on when you're climbing and you're pulling up to step up to the next level, you're hanging on the monkey bars. Um, all of that is really, really valuable. And um, if that's something that your child is at that point, I would really encourage you to do that. So maybe what you do is you go over to the school like right now when it's summertime no one's really there. It's where you can just climb up on it with them or an older sibling can go up with them and um, help them map out what it looks like and show them how things are and show them how when they they've got to use their cane because if your cane comes over here there's a platform into the platform and you don't want to topple off. Um, Things like that and then just let them play and explore and you know ask them okay where do you you know put your hands where do you feel the there's the next you know platform that you need to step up on or do you feel the railing on the side of you that you can hold on to and follow that railing around to the slide Um, put your slide put your cane on the slide next to you and slide down the slide with your cane next to you Uh, and then they can get off and use their cane to walk back around to where the stairs are you know all that stuff is is just so so valuable for our kids and we think it's just fun but actually that's like work is the form of, um, excuse me, play is a form of work for our kids and it's a great way for them to learn. And it's a great way for them to burn off energy and stress. And we need to teach our blind kids how to play in the same way that they're meant to, that children in general are meant to play. So finding those opportunities for them to experience big toys, jungle gyms, monkey bars, things like that, just like their, their sighted peers would do. And this might take some more time with you orienting your child to the playground or spotting them as they're on it so that, you know, because they are little and you don't want them to fall off and they're still learning how to navigate with that cane and problem solve. So yeah, maybe you're just hovering around on the sides, but at least they're getting that experience and they're building on that. And the more they do that, the more proficient they're going to get at that, um, at those skills. And then that transfers over into the elementary school setting because now they've experienced the playground so when they go to the school and there's a playground, instead of them sitting off to the side, watching all their friends have fun, um, they can actually go and participate because they know how to use their cane to find the stairs and they know how to take their cane on the big toy with them and they know how you know, to follow the railing or listen to where the other kids are going and, and practice um, or can follow along with them. Um, And again, maybe this is something that you've practiced on the school playground before they started school so that that we're already familiar with that playground so that they can go and play with their friends at school. Um, I, I don't know how many times I've heard things like, you know, teachers saying, oh, we just assigned a buddy to be the blind kid's friend and they just, you know, they take him out and they play with them or they sit next to the wall or, you know, things like that where the kids aren't really able to be independent and they're not able to play and have fun um, and I think that is, is so sad because if we start teaching our kids at an early age how they can use their cane to move around safely and how they can listen for sound cues and things like that, they could be following and being more independent rather than having to have the assigned buddy and then do whatever the assigned buddy wants to do or to be relegated to just sitting on the wall or the, you know, the, the side of the big toy while everyone else is playing. Um, they can be part of the activity. And again, all of this is contingent on your child's abilities and where they're at, but these are, we're setting the, the bar high with this and um, finding that degree that fits for our children at that point. Some other really great things that are, are good to start around the preschool years, can, some of this can be started a little bit sooner, but um, swimming. Swimming is a great physical activity. It's, it's, you know, half the time you're underwater, you can't see anyway. So there's some great value to that. There's a lot of like mommy and me classes for swimming. There's swimming lessons. Um, you can swim in lakes. You can swim at the pool. That's a it's a great physical activity and it's definitely something that your blind child can do. So that's one you know something to to think about. Um, gymnastics classes. There's tumbling classes. There's lots of um, tumbling classes for uh, for. You know, toddlers and preschoolers, where they come in and they climb over different obstacles, and they uh, do different flips on mats, and they climb over different beams and stuff like that. And it's it's all very safe and padded, but just things like that can be really valuable for our blind kids because it's a controlled, safe environment. Excuse me, and it's um and it's fun and it's it's fostering that that movement. Um, and a lot of those things, too, it's, it's really easy for you to just pull an instructor aside and say, hey, can you show my child the moves that you're doing in class today ahead of time so that when you say it in class, they'll know what you're talking about. So if they all say, like, hey, we're going to jump up and down, you, know, you want to make sure your child knows what that looks like and how that feels so that they can follow along, too. Okay. Some other really great things for for this age, again, like in a class setting, is um, taping off space on the floor, like using some kind of like a painter's tape or some tactile, like a wixie, you know, taping wixie sticks around the floor um, with masking tape so that it's kind of raised. You can create a barrier, or I mean, not like a, not a barrier, but a um, a perimeter, and then. Um, that tells your children like, this is your space you have to stay in. So if they're doing a class where they're doing a bunch of jumping around or you know like a, a um, song singing dancing they know they have to stay in their space. Or if you're at like a library where you can't exactly put that stuff down maybe bringing a hula hoop and the hula hoop goes down on the floor and they know they have to stay in that hula hoop section. So when they're doing singing time and they're all standing up and they're dancing around they can be aware of their space to not lose their you know orientation or to drift off or you know be bumping into other people because they've got that that um indicator of what their space is so just some simple you know simple easy things that can help our kids our, our blind kids be able to develop some of those those same skills um yeah Mary, sure. um,
1: we have a question greg, sure. you know greg says he really likes the idea of using a teaching cane and is there anywhere he can read more about it?
2: Using a what? I'm sorry? Teaching cane. Teaching cane? Yes. So there are a couple of really good articles. Um, if you just Googled teaching cane, like on the NFB website or in the, the NFB publications, some things will pop up there. There's also a book by an OM specialist named Joe Cutter, and he kind of introduced that idea of the teaching cane, and he talks with more specifics about how to how to use a teaching cane with your child. It's a really great, it's a great idea. I think if you Googled, or you looked in like um, Future Reflections that the NFB's parent magne- um, magazine or publication, there's a lot of articles over the years about teaching canes. Any other questions before we move on?
1: Um, yeah, Sarah has a comment. She says yoga has been great for us all ages and um, Joe Potter's promotion model. Sarah, do you wanna talk
0: about that? Oh, I was just gonna post the link to Joe Cutter's book. Oh, okay. Oh, the, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, But yeah, yoga in general has been awesome for our family because it's something mm-hmm. we can all do together. It's something that our six-year-old totally can do by herself. Mm-hmm. And it's good for emotional regulation too, so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to include yoga actually with my school age kids, but yeah, you're right. Starting at preschool age is really great too. Yeah. Yoga is great. So is there any other comments or questions? None for okay. okay. So yeah, so let's, let's move into, um, into our school age kids. So now we're looking at like, let's say between five and 12. Um, so, this at this point your kids have a bit more ability they're a bit they're able to control their muscle movements a lot more they're, they're starting to get some of those fine motor skills in. um as was just said though yoga is a great activity and you just you have a mat you have a space you know where you're supposed to be um maybe the first time or two you might have to walk through some of the positions or have an instructor if you're taking a class maybe as like a family or like a, a mommy and mommy and daddy and me kind of a class um, the one thing that we've found that's been really fun is, um, a YouTube channel called cosmic kids yoga and the lady's fairly descriptive. She, she, each of the yogas are themed, um, in a different theme, even though she does a lot of the same positions. Um, but like, like one is a frozen themed one and she's telling the story of frozen. And as they're telling the story, she's doing gestures. Like we came to a mountain and she's like mountain pose. Um they have a Star Wars one. They have uh, like some nature related ones. There's a whole variety. So you can find things that are of interest to your child, but most of the positions are the same. Like they'll do like downward dog or, you know, the mountain position or warrior one or, you know, whatever. And she, she walks through that and she explains what she's doing to, because it's kids and she's teaching them. So she'll say things like, reach your arms up high above your head and raise your left foot up to your knee. And it's just kind of neat that she's describing things. They're not meant for blind kids. It's just something that we found with our kids. That's really fun. Um, But that's something that your child could do. And it's really fun and engaging and it's at their level because it's meant for kids, obviously. Um, And then maybe that's something you do as a family or they can do with siblings and you, you know, you spend a few minutes showing them the position to make sure they're doing it, doing it right. If they don't, if they're not aware of what you know what she means when she says to do mountain pose or you know stand on one foot what does that look like things like that um some other really great physical things for kids at that age um there's there's another really fun youtube uh youtube video it's called go go noodle and they're really active videos they're only like two or three minutes they use these a lot in school as like a brain break for kids but they're fairly descriptive too they'll, they'll they have all kinds of different uh, genres of them too, based for different interests. Um, there's one that's like, you're walking on the red carpet, so you're supposed to stand in place and walk and like shimmy your shoulders, and then they'll say, freeze and duck, and they throw a duck on the screen, but what they mean is for the kids to like duck down, and they just repeat all this, these same actions, but it's, it's actions and music and lots of sound effects, and um, they're just really fun, and kids, kids like them, and, um, and it's just fostering some movement and it's 2 or 3 minutes so it's really easy and it's fun but it gets your kids moving and active um so so just you know things like that especially right now where a lot of things are are you know closed and we can't go to a lot of classes per se it's really good that we do things at home that can be fostering movement and not just sitting around Watching TV or or listening to audiobooks all day and and just um, you know not really getting a lot of, of activity so those are those are just two things we found. Um, another thing that's kind of fun for school age kids I think that they're at a point where they can start doing this more um, i'm sure everybody's familiar with Fitbits and um, they actually make Fitbits for kids and you can um, link it to your phone and your app, but the Fitbit app is actually really accessible with voiceover so Um, anyone with an iPhone can turn, I don't know how it works with Android because I'm not familiar with how VoiceOver or or what Android uses as their screen reader. But with an iPhone, um, you can turn VoiceOver on, uh, on your iPhone just through the settings and the accessibility settings. And the Fitbit app works very well with VoiceOver. So you can link an account for your child's Fitbit with your Fitbit account. And then you could turn VoiceOver on so your child could be, swiping through to read their stats. Um, but it's, it's, so that's one thing that's just kind of neat because it's accessible. But the other thing is that it's, it's kind of a a motivator for your kids. Um, kids think it's really cool to wear these Fitbit devices. They're kind of popular in school right now, but, um, that's the way they can check their steps and things. And it gives them some, some tangible, um, targets, like you got to get your 10,000 steps in, you know, and, um, shows them like how many active minutes they had, so you could set goals with your kids. If they're not being very active, you could say things like, "Okay, I want you to get 20 minutes of active minutes today, and your Fitbit's going to tell me, and we're going to check it at the end of the day. And if you got your 20 minutes, then you can have 20 minutes of electronics or you know whatever they liked, or we'll go get." ice cream, which sounds like it's defeating the purpose if you're trying to get them to be physical, <laughs> but you know, something like whatever the incentive would work for your kid, for your child. Um, there's also something really fun that we've been doing as a family and that's the Fitbit challenges. So we have um, Fitbit bingo between my husband and me and my, my nine-year-old daughter. And then our, our younger boys are six and three and they've been getting involved just for fun when we are doing our things, they just run around and play with us. Um, even though we're, they don't have their own trackers, but it's, um, it's a bingo game that you start. And again, this is all accessible with voiceover. So your kids can be following along if they're at that skill level where they could read through the iPhone, or you could just turn it on and swipe and let them hear it. Um, or you can use it through your your phone yourself, but um, you can set up a weekly bingo challenge and it gives you a bingo board and you have like, let's say your pattern is a you know, a, a diamond, you have to fill in the pattern on the, on the bingo board of the diamond. And it'll say things like, uh, maybe one is like 50 minutes of active 50 active minutes or 10,000 steps or, um, ours are usually really hard, like 12 point K steps and eight miles and things like that. But my daughter has been doing it with us and she really likes it. And we've had fun as a family engaging in it because it motivates us to do things. So, so we'll say like, okay, well, we need to go for a family walk because we have to get our Fitbit steps in or, um, my husband will sometimes come down and he works at home right now and he doesn't have enough time to really go out and go for a walk. So he'll just walk around the circle of our family room and our kitchen. Cause they're, they're open on both ends and he'll just circle our, our living room and my boys will start running and chasing and they'll run laps around our house. And it's just a fun way to get everybody kind of active and moving. And um, I could see that being a really good incentive for some some blind kids. If you've got this tangible item that's tracking, you could use that to give them some incentive. To say like, hey, we got to get our 10,000 steps in today. Let's go for a walk. And then not only are you working on being healthy and physical by going for a walk. But that walk time gives you time to take their cane and practice using their cane and talk about the environment around them and let them start exploring with their cane and getting used to you know navigating sidewalks and driveways and so forth with their cane so not so you're you're accomplishing a lot of goals they're getting cane travel they're getting physical activity they're getting family time you're chatting you know it's it's, it's a win win um so I, I think not just for this age, but even, I mean, any age, I think all of this needs to be something that you incorporate in as a family time and make it fun for your whole family. And I think it has to be something that you foster, you foster a love for being active as a family too. That can be really helpful for your kids. And just foster this idea in your family that your blindness is not a barrier. We'll just find a way to work around whatever it is that we're doing. If we are a family who likes to camp and hike, then, of course, we're going to take our blind children along with us, and they're going to have a cane that they use to go on hikes with us. And maybe we hold hands while they're hiking, or they go sighted guide while they're hiking, or we just get a really strong cane that's not going to break as easily while they're hiking, but they're going to do it with us. Um, if we're a family that likes to go bike riding, then we're going to teach our blind child how to ride a bike, and we're going to buy a tandem bike, and we're going to go on bike rides as a family. Um, if our family likes to go swimming and do water parks and, um, you know, things like that, then we're going to help our blind, kid, our blind child learn how to swim and we're going to find ways to do things like store their cane next to the pool and help them stay oriented in the pool based on like where they feel the sun or where they hear the slide or where they hear the lifeguard whistle so that they can keep their orientation in the pool while they're playing with their friends or their siblings so just, you know, just fostering that, the idea that, that movement is not a chore, it's not a task, it's not, you, know, you have to do this because you're blind and we need you to be fit, so you're going to march in place 10 times. You know, we don't want it to be like that. We want it to just be a natural, fun thing that's a part of your child's life and a part of your family life. So um, some other things that are great to do as a family are just family dance parties where, you know, every night after dinner, you turn on some... Music that everybody loves, and you just dance around in your li- in your living room. It's it's a great stress reliever, but it's also a really great physical activity. And um, you know, it's it's a little stereotypical because everyone always says, "Oh, blind people love music. That's so great." But let's let's love music, but let's use it in an active way too. Let's get up and dance and be silly and teach your kids. What dancing looks like, like teach them what it looks like to twist your hips, or like how you pump the raise the roof, or do the floss, or you know the dab. That's really popular in school right now. Teach them those things. And um, another great thing for that is you know just YouTube is like a good and bad resource. But you know Google things like popular dances for kids, and you'll find videos that teach you how to do the floss and how to do the dab and how to do you know whatever, and then you can can watch those with your kids and demonstrate, you know, just stand behind them and show them how they move their feet or how they have them put their feet on your feet and have them step and show them how to step or hold their hands or their arms and make the motions with them of what that, you know, this is what disco looks like and this is what it looks like to roll your hands and this is what, you know, when you press up, that's what it looks like. Um, And show them those things so that they learn those, um, those, those motions. Uh, so not only does it help them in blending in socially, but again, it's physical activity and it's moving and it's exploring and, and um, getting them active. So, um, another couple of really fun ideas that this has kind of come out of result of the, the COVID situation, but I know a lot of families are, are doing things like this. And I think it's just great idea for, for kids who are blind too. Um, you know, if you don't have a trampoline, invest in a trampoline. Ones with the big nets on the side, because then they can be in there bouncing and there's no worries about falling off the, um, off the, the side. In fact, I don't even think they make trampolines without those nets anymore because they're so great for, for kids of all ages. Uh, families are doing ninja courses in their backyard and it would be so easy to, to just, you know, create some balance beams and some obstacle courses and just tie a rope along it that you're, uh, your child could hold on to to stay on course if you have the yard space to do something like that. Uh, I know some a family, some friends of ours that their daughters are really big into rock climbing, and so when all the rock climbing places were closed, I think it might still be, but they, um, they built an indoor rock wall, which I didn't even think that was possible, but I thought it's a great idea. They just took a wall that was down under their staircase in their basement and um, I guess you can just buy the rock climbing grips and the knots that you would you know, see and just bolt them into your wall. And they built a, a rock wall on, on their basement wall. And I thought that's such a great idea for kids who are blind because rock climbing is all about feel and, and positioning and so forth. Yeah, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, okay, oh, okay, thank you. I'll look at it when I get time, sorry. Um, you know, So that's a great thing. And uh, we take blind kids rock climbing all the time. And um, and you know, they go with, with um, there's somebody belaying them and usually there's a guide that tells you where to reach and they'll say things like, hey, reach up to your left and feel around for that next hold you know, when you're first starting out. But the more that you practice it, it gets to be more intuitive and people start learning how to scan and feel for things without needing someone to, to be telling you, you know, where to reach, uh, reach to. And it's, it's great physical activity and it's definitely something that a blind person can do um, and, you know, there's there's rock climbing gyms all over the place and they work with kids of all ages. They have drop-in sessions, they have sessions for families where your whole family can go and do like bouldering and rock climbing together. Um, so that can be a really, really great opportunity for your child as well to find a new interest. Um, um, let's see, how are we doing on, can I ask for a time check real quick because my phone is. My yep, it so, is 12, actually
0: 1259.
2: Oh, okay, all right, so sure, we're, sorry. oh my goodness. So 2.59, okay. 2.59, so, yep. So I could, there's so much more I could talk about, but do, do any of you have any questions before we wrap up here? I feel like I talked so fast, I'm sorry.
0: Lots of great information.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um, no questions, you know. Um,
1: I'm going to open it up so anybody can make like a comment. Thank you. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you so much. I think my last piece of advice is just don't be afraid to try anything. And if you don't know how to do it for your child, ask someone and just don't be, you know, problem-solve, be creative and have fun with it. Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody. All
1: right,
2: thanks. Thank you, good luck with the other sessions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mary Jo. Thank you, enjoy. Likewise.